Well, good morning, First Family. How good to see you here today. I'm real glad Jeff did that last little song. I didn't want to follow Casey. How about you? So I hope you still have your Bible open to Revelation 16. You know, this is one of those talks that you're going to be like, whoa, Darren, slow down a little. I'm just going to tell you now, when I was planning this, this talk was originally supposed to be two. And I was going to do it on two consecutive Sundays. And you know what? As I got further into it, I realized I don't like talking about the seven bowls of God's wrath. It's not as much fun as talking about God's grace. But I want you to write this down somewhere on your note sheet, even if you don't plan to take any other notes. Would you do this for me? God's holiness is enough. Would you just write that down? God's holiness is enough because this is the summation. See, if the overarching theme of Revelation is that Jesus is already one, this is the ancillary to it. God's holiness is enough, and it will be made right. For when we get to this chapter, we've come out of the interlude that we had in chapter 15 where we get a, a sneak peek into heaven. But when we get to chapter 16, it's time to do business and make God's holiness right. So there's a lot of people that are upset with the idea that God will enact judgment, that he'll bring judgment down. But friends, I want to tell you, in God's grace, in God's mercy, and in his timing, his holiness has to be made right. Otherwise, there was no need for Christ to die. We would all have needed to pay the penalty for our own sin. But if God's holiness is enough and Jesus has already won, then there has to be a victor, and there has to be a moment of victory. And friends, here it is. In chapter 16, we're going to cover the whole thing, so just buckle your seatbelt and hold on tight, all right? Here's where we start. God offers a command. Go pour it out. Go pour it out, he says. Go pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. Now, what are bowls for? They're for holding things, right? When we get a bowl out of the cabinet, we intend to put cereal in it. We need something to hold the milk. We need something to hold the cereal. So God has stored up this wrath and saved it for just this moment. I want you to notice this, and I want you to underline it if you're one who underlines in their Bible. Notice this is God's word. It is not somebody else's opinion. It's not somebody else's thoughts. It is God's word. Take this home with you now. God's word is final. There are some things that we can't say for sure, but we can say this much with absolute clarity. God's word is final, and when he speaks, that's the last word. God's word is final, friends. It may be a hard word, but it is definitely one that is final. Now we jump into the bowls of wrath. The first bowl is what my friend Brandon read a minute ago. Verse 2, the first angel went out and poured his bowl on the earth, and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The first bowl, ulcerous sores on the earth. And the recipients, who is the one that's going to receive this? The worshipers of the beast. Those who have bowed down and received his mark, they are the ones who will find themselves on the wrong end of God's wrath. Perhaps this is like Exodus chapter 9, the plagues of Egypt. There we go with that Exodus motif we talked about talked about last week, these painful lesions will serve as a physical reminder of the personal rejection of God's 
awesome gift of salvation. You see, they all had the chance to respond to God's grace. They all had the opportunity, just like you do, to respond to God's mercy. And they all individually said no. They'd rather be autonomous. They'd rather worship something else or even worship themselves. So when God pours this out upon them, this first bowl, it is not God being just, unjust rather, it is God being holy and just. Let us move to the second bowl. Verse three, the second angel poured out his bowl into the sea and it became like the blood of a corpse and every living thing died that was in the sea. The second bowl, the sea becomes blood. As the angel pours his bowl into the sea, perhaps it's like the plague of Egypt in Exodus 7, where the blood becomes water. I'm sorry, the water becomes blood. Water, one of the most basic human requirements, even more so when you live in the desert. Here it is. The phrasing in Greek is even more powerful. Coagulated blood, rotting blood, as such, it cannot support life. Thus, all sea life dies. The recipients, the sea creatures. You might say, but Darren, what did they do wrong? I don't know, but I know this. In this chapter, we see the created order being pulled apart. The created order is being removed. But, but why, Darren? That's so unsettling. Yes, it is, but I want to remind you of what Revelation 21, still yet ahead, has to say. Jesus declares, behold, I'm making everything new. This is not the final word for those in Christ, just for those who have rejected him. Let's move to the third bowl. Fresh waters become blood. First it was the salt water, and now it's the fresh waters. Verses 4 to 7. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. And heard an angel in charge of the water saying, you just are you, O holy one, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments. For you, for they have shed the blood of, of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It's what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, yes, Lord, God, the almighty, true and just are your judgments. If the previous bowl strikes the, the salt waters of the earth, the third bowl strikes the fresh waters. There will be nowhere to hide. There will be no moment of repose, no place to back off and find retreat. This, this strikes the large bodies of, of water. It strikes all bodies of water. The recipients, an unjust and murderous world. Those who have rejected God time and again. The reason for this God executes judgment. Did you see the linkage between this third bowl of wrath and in verse six, the shed blood of the saints and the prophets? Notice those last few words of verse six. It is what they deserve. The reason this exists, because God executes judgments. God executes it, he brings it to pass. Not only will he, but he's already in the process of it. This isn't capricious, this isn't arbitrary. 
It's a reflection of God's holiness, his righteousness, his rightful place to rule. The reason God executes judgment. I want you to go back to where we started. God's holiness is enough. I want you also to see this. Yes, Lord God, see it in verse 7. Yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. My confidence is in you, God, even if I don't understand. Let's move on to this fourth bowl. The fourth bowl is a scorching heat. See it in verses 8 and 9. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were scorched by the fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God, who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. The sun receives the fourth bowl. Some have suggested, no, it's the atmosphere. The atmosphere was removed, and so the sun can strike us even harder. I'm going to stay with what the Bible says. It says the sun, so the sun gets this fourth bowl. And as that sun strikes down upon us, it scorches us. There have been a great many students who have studied the power of the sun. We harness it for many ways. We need the vitamin D that it provides us, but we harness it for solar energy and for lighting our homes and for seeing where we're going. It was one of the first things that God created, and now here it is being one of the things that God pulls apart. It is as if God is saying things will not continue as they have been. Prepare accordingly. We've talked about this a great many times. There's two purposes to Revelation. The first one is a word of encouragement to the faithful. Things will not always be as they are. Look forward to that day when the deliverance of the Spirit of God will bring you deliverance. The second purpose is over here. It's a word of warning to the, the godly, the ungodly, those who would reject God, those who would say no to him, those who would push him out to the edges. Things will not always continue as they are. The recipients of this fourth bowl, the rebellious and hardened people. They're the ones who reject God. See verse 9. I want you to look at the middle and the end of it. They cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. They, they the ones who are the ones who should get the punishment Blame God for their own choices. The only God they will worship is one of their own making, one of their own designs. The one true God is the one they will not praise. They will not repent to. They will only reject, and they will push him away and say, no, we don't want you. You don't do it our way. We're not interested in you. Wouldn't it be great if we had that kind of authority? where we could say, no, no, we don't want that. But such is not our eternal reality. The word of God is clear. It is appointed to man once to die, and then comes the judgment. It is what happens before we die that sets the course for what happens after. This fourth bowl, the scorching heat that comes, it is designed for the rebellious and the hardened people. 
Let's move on to the fifth bowl. The fifth bowl brings darkness across the land. See it in verses 10 and 11. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and his kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. They did not repent of their deeds. Darkness. Things will look a lot scarier in the dark. Now, if we are to take these bowls chronologically as if one follows the other, we'll talk more about that tonight at 5 at 5, if we can read it that way. But if we do so, then they will have come straight from the scorching heat of the fourth bowl into darkness, one extreme to the other. Have you ever found something in the night with your toe or perhaps your shin and wondered why you didn't have any light to help you see? Imagine then how dark it will be when people are living in the darkness poured out by the fifth bowl. Like the Egyptian plague of darkness in Exodus chapter 10, the lack of light symbolizes the absence of God. In fury, people gnawed their tongues. See that in verse 10. It's a really powerful turn of phrase. It is as if in their frustration, in their anger, in their animosity at God, the only thing they can find to do to express themselves is chew their own tongue. You might say, but Darren, that sounds awful, doesn't it though? This is what awaits those who reject God. The recipients, the earth dwellers, the beast, and the ungodly. All of those who have rejected God's gracious salvation will bear the burden of God's wrath. This, my friends, is a reminder that it is not too late for us. Those who hear this talk today, those who hear this talk at all, let your hearts be encouraged by the fact that God is giving you the chance to miss out on that. I want you to notice their reaction in verse 11. Angry, blasphemous bitterness toward God, an arrogant rejection of repentance. Instead of choosing God, like Pharaoh, they reject God. The plague of darkness drives them only still further from God. Their anger only underscores their pain. They misdiagnose the disease, and so they misapply the cure. Imagine you went to the doctor for a cold, and he put a cast on your arm. You would say, that's the wrong treatment. I don't have a broken arm, I have a cold. So it is with those who believe they can right their situation because of the fifth bowl by cursing God. They reject God and in doing so, find themselves removed from his presence only yet further. And now the sixth bowl, the one that probably gets the most amount of tension academically and historically, for the sixth bowl is when the mighty Euphrates River dries up. See it in verse 12 and following. The sixth angel 
poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates. Its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophets three unclean spirits like frogs. For they are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of the Lord, of the God Almighty. Behold, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. And they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. Like the Red Sea in Exodus 14 and the Jordan River in Joshua chapter 2, God dries up waterbeds for his own purposes, for his own glory. This, friends, is a reminder that his glorious purposes shall be accomplished. It is almost impossible for me to wrap my mind around the idea of the Euphrates River not flowing, the Euphrates River not in existence. Think of our own mighty Mississippi River as it pours down toward the Gulf of Mexico. What would it do to our economy if things were different? What would it do to the river traffic? There would be panic as there will be that day. Yet insert in your thinking here, this is God's method for declaring his glory in a supernatural and transcendent way. The dragon of verse 13 is almost certainly the same dragon that we saw in Revelation 12. I want you to see the dragon and the false prophet, an old enemy and a new one. In chapter 12 of Revelation, the dragon is identified there as Satan himself. The false prophet, we see him hinted at in the previous chapters, but here he's named for the very first time. He's almost certainly the same as the beast in Revelation 13, 11 to 17. The evil spirits coming out of his mouth speak to the lies and propaganda that will be used to deceive many. People love to listen to lies and have their ears tickled that way coddled into thinking they're okay and that everything else will be too. So they find willing ears to listen to those lies. I want you to see how the Bible is describing them here. The unclean frogs who come out of the false prophet's mouth will look like frogs. The unclean spirits look like frogs. Frogs. Now we don't have a lot of those around here. You get around one of our little ponds or bodies water, you might find a few. But where we lived in East Texas, we had them bad. And it was incredibly annoying to be trying to enjoy a peaceful evening sitting by the lake when you'd hear their croaking. Maybe somewhat peaceful until you get about 10 billion of them. And then you're like, hey, can you animals go somewhere else? Perhaps the solution then is to kill them, but you know, let me just tell you about this, my friends. The stench from dead frogs is worse than the sound from alive ones. Their ugly appearance, these creatures 
are a prime candidate to represent foul spirits. Now, I knew a brother who believed faithfully that God wanted him to destroy every frog he found because it might be one of these unclean spirits. I don't know about that, but I know this. These unclean spirits will come with lies in their mouth. I won't ask you if you've told lies. I'll just ask you if you've believed them. The most popular one is that you don't need God, that God will never hold you accountable, and that you can live any way you like as long as you feel faithfully about it. After all, God isn't nearly as interested in your faithfulness to him as he is in your faithfulness to yourself. That's a lie. Don't get trapped in it. It is a dead-end street that will send you back and forth with nowhere to go. We're seeing it over and over and over again. The subjective secularism that, that colors and permeates our society will lead us only to one end, and it is this end, judgment. For the lies that we believe will be the ones that define us. The reason for this dry river that is described there is to allow the United Armies of the East unfettered access across. Now, if I had a dollar for every time I've heard who the armies of the East are, I'd be a rich man. We don't know who those armies of the East are. The Bible does not tell us. If we take into account the book of Ezekiel, chapters 37 and 38, we might surmise that it is Gog and Magog from there. But there's a problem with that, too, because we don't know who Gog and Magog are. I want you to notice it's armies of the east, not north or south. This much I know about going east. You can always go east. No matter where you are, you can always go east. That's different than north. If you go far enough north, eventually you start going south. But you can always go east, and you'll just keep going. So the idea that this is China, that this is Russia, that this is North Korea, there's some merit to that but it might just as easily be anywhere in the world because everything could be east from Armageddon if you went far enough. Don't allow yourself to be trapped into thinking that Armageddon and only that which is east of it to a body of water must be the location of this army that's coming. In verse 15, I want you to see a great warning of God. It's a parenthetical. If your Bible doesn't have it set off in parentheses, would you just please do that for me? It's a parentheses moment where the Spirit of God is saying, hold on, I want to remind you of what I've said here. This goes back to the twofold purpose, a word of encouragement to the godly. Things will not always be like they are. A word of warning to the ungodly that things are about to be changed. I want, to hear, I want you to hear it again. Jesus speaking, he says, be cold, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. Jesus' declaration is akin to what we see in Matthew 24 when Jesus declares it there. It's akin to what we see in 1 Thessalonians 5 in the writings of the Apostle Paul. It's akin to what we see in 1 Corinthians 15. Friends, this, this moment is what Jesus has been preparing us for all along. No doubt there will be many who will say, wait a minute, I wasn't ready, I didn't know. You know now. And it culminates in a battle. The place of the battle? 
a name you know well, Armageddon. In all of Scripture, this is the only place where it is named specifically. And quite frankly, there's a lot of questions about Armageddon and what that name means for there is no place that we know of by that title. However, there are places that we associate with a place called Megiddo. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. This culminates in the seventh bowl. The seventh bowl is emptied into the atmosphere itself as the created order ends. Verse 17 to the end of the chapter. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, it is done. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake such as there had never been since man was on the earth. So great was that earthquake. The great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup, the wine of the fury of his wrath. And every island fled away, and no mountains were to be found. And great hailstones, about a hundred pounds each, fell from heaven on people, and they cursed God for the plague of the hail because the plague was so severe. God offers a final proclamation, and it is a full one. It is done. The message translation has it just a little differently. It just has one word, done. The seven plagues have run their course. The human race stands on the threshold of eternity. All that waits is judgment. Here we see the phenomena of God's glory on full display. Nature breaks loose with a violent storm and a massive earthquake completely destroys the godless world and its cities. The storm theophany that we saw in Revelation 4, 8, 11, and yes, all the way back to Exodus 19, it's back. This, friends, is the severity of God's wrath. Here, this city in question, Babylon, as our friend John describes it, is probably Rome. But let it stand not just for one geographical place, rather let it stand for every city opposed to God and his will. Here is the end of the created order in a colossal hailstorm. We know something about hailstorms, don't we? We have them somewhat regularly when it rains. When we were, when I was in seminary back some years ago, we had a terrible hailstorm that came through Fort Worth. It was on May 1st. I remember it so clearly. May 1st, because there was a May Fest, a, a party at a, a park on the Trinity River, and there were many people seeking whatever shelter they could find, wherever they could find it. And there were people injured because of the hail, even one person killed. Here, friends, is the worst hailstorm I know of. But in Revelation 16, this storm is even worse. Here, here is where hailstones, a hundred pounds each, fall as a powerful reminder that God's holiness is enough. How do they respond? With humility? With a repentant heart? No, 
The response of humanity is cursing God because of the severity of God's judgment. Even after everything else, their rejection of God endures. In their misery, in their pain, in their anger, in their bitterness, they curse God with a desire to lash out at him. Herein ends the bowls of wrath, mercifully. Now, friends, what do we do about it? All week, all week I've asked the Lord to prompt in some of you a recognition of how awful this will be and a recognition that this is where humanity is headed and that unless the Lord breaks in and changes things for us, this is where we as a nation are headed. Prepare accordingly. How then can you avoid it? One way and one way only, and his name is Jesus. By calling on the name of Jesus and finding him to be enough, you'll find a place of refuge. For here we can say confidently, Jesus already paid our debt. These bowls of wrath, all of chapter 16, they are for those who have not invited Jesus to pay their debt. There's an old song that we used to sing. He paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. And now I sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace, all day long. My Jesus paid a debt that I could never pay. Today, right here and right now, you get the chance to set your eternity down firmly. Maybe you realize this is a word of warning to you and you're realizing just how awful it's gonna be. Maybe you've rejected God and said, I'll fix it myself, I don't need any help. I'll do what I want, when I want it, how I want it. I don't need God, I don't want his leadership, I don't want his lordship. But you realize this has an expiration date. Expiration dates, you know. I went to get some spinach yesterday and do you know that spinach, the, the fresh spinach that I like so well, it was just as rotten as it could be. I looked at the expiration date on it, it was a week or so ago. And I was like, well, no wonder. I'm warning you now there's an expiration date ahead. We just don't know what it is. Today is the day you can respond to Jesus and say, I don't have to worry about it. So what should you take home? Prepare now for God's judgment by embracing God's mercy. You can do that today. Come down and talk to me or my staff. We'll be waiting for you right down here. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, you need to come to this altar and talk to the Lord about a struggle in your life. You'd like one of us to pray with you. We'd be delighted to do so. You want to join our church and walk with us together. We'll talk with you about that. Maybe you saw the baptisms at the start of the service and you said, hey, that's for me. Today, friends, I want you to come forward and say, I want to avoid those bowls of wrath, Darren. Help me find a way. Pray with me, won't you? So today, Jesus, we thank you that because of who you are and because of what you've done, 
we need not fear. For these bowls of wrath have no power over those who are yours. We might not know everything about Revelation, Lord. We might not understand every corner of it or every symbol, but we know this. Your holiness is enough, and it will be made right. Before we have to pay our own debt, Jesus, you paid it for us. And so today, my prayer is that there are those out there that are listening, whether they're in this building or not, and they are recognizing right now, Jesus, that you, you in your kindness want to pay that debt for them. You already did so on the cross. I pray, Lord, they would respond to you. I pray for those who need to make a decision today, whatever it might be, and that today would be the day, Jesus, they would let it be known. To give physical expression to a spiritual change. Do your work now among us, Lord. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.